This episode of Ridiculous History is brought to you by Uber. Introducing Uber Teen Accounts, an Uber account for your teen with trackable trips and highly rated drivers. Your teen can feel a sense of independence and you, as the parent, can follow their ride on a live tracking map. Yeah, when your teen requests a trip, they're matched with highly rated, experienced drivers and you receive real-time notifications. And, you know, I've actually been using Uber Teen lately to help my teen uh, get to and from various events. The other week, I used it to get them and their friend uh, to and from a concert in Atlanta. And today, they're actually going to use it to get home from a football game. It makes them feel safe, and it lets me know that they're safe. I absolutely love it. And today, you can get 40% off. That's up to $15 off three Uber teen rides. Valid for the first 30 days for new users in select markets. See app for details. Add your teen to your account today. Available in select locations. See app for details. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City Branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. finally getting to an episode that we have been looking forward to for a long, long time. Today, we're doing banned books. That's right. U2, Aerosmith, the story of the talking heads, the Rolling Stones. What are you talking about, Ben? Noel, I'm talking about today's episode, banned banned books. I see what you did there. I had to get rid of this joke immediately. Ben, you're a fool. I love you. (laughs) Welcome to Ridiculous History, folks. Uh, We promise that the uh, rest of the jokes you will hear will be at least better than the one we opened with. That's how you do it. You set the bar low, Mm. and then everything is just cake after that. Everything is just bonus icing. That's the way you and I approach a lot of things, man. Bonus icing. Yes. And speaking of bonuses, we are, as always, immensely privileged to have our super producer, Casey Pegram, with us today. And, you know, jokes aside, this this is a fascinating episode, and this is a little bit like a, a list for us. Yeah, sort of a listicle. What, <laughs> what, what, what does a list make? Three? Three is the minimum number required to make a list, which is... A rule I agree with, but I just made up back yeah. in our YouTube video days. Oh, yeah. Because, uh, you know, we would have to have shows that were list-based. Right. And there would be things where, you know, five is a great number for a list. Yeah. 
But three is the minimum. Three is the minimum. It almost is like you should. You didn't want to go the extra mile and do a four, an even four. <laughs> the answer to that today, my friends, is no. <laughs> We've got a solid three. We've got a solid three. We've got some other things that might interest you. And this this episode is kind of inspired by our earlier discussion, previous episode on the dilemma of progress versus preservation. It's true. So we're talking about these books that have been suppressed or yanked out of popular society. Literally, physically yanked out of children's hands at times. Yes. You know, by constables or something. I don't know. Right. And now the book police. The book police. God, I hope they're real. Wait, no, no, because I know what's going to happen in this episode. No, they are real and Mm -hmm. I don't like it. You don't want it. You don't want that. You don't want none of that. Thank you for saving me there, Noel. Keep your books, man. (laughs) Got to keep them. So usually when we think of books being banned, we think of, you know, fictional things like uh, The Catcher in the Rye. To Kill a Mockingbird is is one that comes up. uh, And, you know, it's still taught in school, but it is one that some schools are uncomfortable with. Right, exactly. But what we're looking at today is the other side of the genre equation. You see, it's not just fictional books that get banned, burned, or... uh, pulled from the market. Yeah, and you could argue that this is, uh, you know, more important in, in, in many ways than than uh, than banning works of fiction, which obviously are culturally valuable. Mm-hmm. But we're talking about hard stuff here, hard science, science fact. Yes, yes, things that literally changed our understanding of the world. Although to this day, some of these books are still looked at askance yes. by many. We're oh. going to get into that too. Oh yes, yes, and we have a, we have a great uh, we have a great example of reference that you found uh, that we are going to have to put in at some point in the episode. Oh yeah, it's going to be fun. It's a, well, we're going to have a musical guest. Yeah, we're going to have a, a musical guest. It's going to be uh, not not the first time, but one of the most enjoyable slash disturbing. Mm-hmm. So, who do we have first? The first banned book. Well, it was written by a fellow named. Galileo Galilei. Have you ever heard that song by the Indigo Girls? I love it. I was thinking of it as we were going in today. ATL, Hometown Heroes. It's like Galileo something, something, something over a couple of beers. How long till my soul gets it right? That's all, that's all I know. Can any human being ever reach that kind of life? Ben! Right? Beautiful singing voice. Wow. Yeah, that, yeah. Oh my God. Thank you. Well, it's cool. It's, it's you know, the, it's an interesting. Um, they do a good job of sort of personifying the quandary that Galileo faced mm-hmm. because he was a, a, an innovator. He thought big. He had mm-hmm. big ideas. Yes. And that was not particularly popular with many of the folks in power, especially the church, because we're talking about the Copernican view of the solar system, right? Yes, yes. Uh, heliocentrism, the radical notion that despite the spiritual implications, the earth revolved around the sun rather than the sun and all things revolving around earth. Now, I'm a little foggy about why that, that being the Ptolemaic model, correct? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Why does one or the other imply more or less of a god? So the controversy from a spiritual sense is that earth— and humanity are the protagonist of the universe. Got it. They're the main characters. That makes sense. 
you know? Yeah. So there, there's sort of the way a child thinks. <laughs> Probably, right, or many adults. Yeah, that's true. But the, the thing that was interesting about this as well is that other astronomers, not just, you know, spiritual leaders, but other astronomers tried to find what they felt were quantitative arguments against heliocentrism. But his book, The Dialogue Concerning the Two Chief World Systems, Ptolemaic and Copernican, was a little too solid to, uh, to be taken down just by uh, attempts at rebuttal arguments. It's true. And the Spanish Inquisition gets into this uh, game pretty quick, right? In 1611, they kind of caught wind of Galileo and him espousing these Copernican views. But they sort of, you know, kept their distance. They didn't uh, come a gun in for him right away. And he was allowed even. He had pals in the in the papacy, in, in the Vatican, um, who kind of gave him some leeway, I guess. They allowed him to espouse these views as long as he couched them as being mathematical theories, which is a th- theme that comes into play with some of our other uh, mm-hmm. list entries, right? Yeah, they micromanaged the uh, the pants off this guy. Uh, he originally intended to title this work Dialogue on the Two Chief World Systems, the Dialogue on the Ebb and Flow of the Sea, mm-hmm. but the Inquisition made him remove the reference to tides in the title. This is, this is 20 years later, too. They, they'd known about him since the early 1600s, They had their eye on him, yeah. They had their eye on him, and they, they're like, all right, let's see what this uh, rabble-rouser gets up to. Then in 1660, he kept having complaints filed against him. Right. Right, right. For, for his views and for him, his willingness to openly speak about this and to publish these works. Um, and he finally had a complaint lodged against him, uh, a written complaint with the Inquisition, specifically against Galileo's Copernican views, and Galileo responded by defending his views to uh, a person by the name of Monsignor Piero Dini, who was a official at the Vatican. Um, and then he also wrote his famous letter to the Grand Duchess Christina, basically saying, come on, I'm, I'm just asking questions here. You know, I should be free to explore the meaning of, of the universe and existence without you meddling in my affairs, you know? Get right. out of my face, Rome. Right. And let's let's dive into a little bit of this here. So earlier, Pope Urban VIII had himself asked Galileo to argue for and against heliocentrism. Because they were kind of personal friends. They were, yeah, right? they were as, as much as you can be with a pope. Right. He asked him to put these arguments in the book and to be careful not to advocate heliocentrism. Right. Sort of pull a, pull a mainstream news thing, present both sides of the argument. Exactly. And he asked for another favor, and he said, hey, Galileo, can you put my personal views about this in the book? And Galileo did, but the, the problem is that the presenter of the geocentric view that Earth is the middle of everything. Mm. Uh, the defender of that in the book is a guy named Simplicio, not the most complimentary name. And oh, he, as like as he's some sort of simp. Simp. Yeah, he comes off like a, a adult. Yes, a dunderhead. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a nincompoop. Got it. And Galileo takes the things that Pope Urban says and puts them in Simplicio's voice, mm-hmm. and so the Pope feels publicly ridiculed and is no longer a fan of Galileo G. 
So Galileo gets called to Rome to defend his controversial writings. Uh, he arrives in February of 1633, and he is brought to the Inquisitors. Yeah, and let's also just point out that uh, about a decade prior, or, or well, in 1616, he was formally uh, accused of heresy. Yes, already. Yeah. So he was. He was not. You know, the fact that he was buddies with Pope Urban probably is what got his butt out of uh, the frying pan a time or two. But now he has literally pissed off the one guy that was going to help him, you know, dodge the Inquisitors. And you know no one expects the Spanish Inquisition. <laughs> right? We, we made it. We made it. It happened. Yeah. He had a past. And, Noel, I think you put it very well when you when you talk about how he's almost always skirting by. Yep. Just on the edge. And when it all comes to a head— in 1630s, right? In 1633? That's right. He is interrogated. He's like 70 at this point. He's interrogated for 18 days straight. They eventually say, look, we're going to torture you if you don't tell us what we want to hear. Well, it's like, what do they want him to say? I mean, as, what, they want him to confess to what exactly? He's <laughs> a scientist. Like, he didn't do—I don't understand. I think they just wanted him to renounce his views. I think that's what they were after, right? They wanted him yeah. to print a, a, a retraction. Yeah, he was specifically required in the uh, sentence they delivered on June 22nd of 1633. He was required to abjure, curse, and detest his heliocentric opinions. That's right. They were basically saying that he had made too strong a case for <laughs> the Copernican view of the solar system. And so what's the outcome here, right? He's alienated the Pope. He's no longer under his protection. He does get this sentence. They tell him to renounce everything. Uh, they, they lay a few other clauses on him too. Uh, but do they kill him? Do they, what happens? Nah, they just kind of like do the, uh, 1600s equivalent of like the old ankle bracelet, you know, mm. where, where you gotta, you can't leave the yeah. house. That's right. Mm -hmm. He is, he is on permanent timeout. He gets put on house arrest for the rest of his life. Yeah. And I think they ban his work outright. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Like, like any of it. Am I, is that, is that right? Am yeah. I Publication of anything he wrote was forbidden including anything that he might write in the future. But of course, you know, as smart people are often able to do, he, he persevered and, and did continue to write. He figured out how to do it. Yeah, yeah. And you have to wonder, is that a fate worse than death, to be so smart and so enterprising and be told that we're not going to kill you, but you cannot do the one thing that gave your life meaning. No, it makes me think of the really amazing scene in the Tanya Harding movie, which I really recommend if you guys haven't seen I, I Tanya, Tanya, where she, the judge, passes down the sentence. This isn't a spoiler because this was in the news, you know, right? Mm -hmm. I think we're good here. Yeah. Um, and the judge says, you're not going to go to jail, but you can't skate professionally anymore ever again. You can't compete. And she's just like in tears and is like, you know, the, the, her conspirators or whatever, they got jail time. She's like, just send me to jail. Just don't, you Let know, me go if, back I can't, if I can't skate, what's the point, you know? Yeah. This is, uh, yeah. But as you said, Noel, he does remain in the historical record. And the mark he left on the human effort to understand the world and the universe around us remains uh, profound and crucial today. We didn't even talk about his uh, book, The Starry Messenger, where using his 
prototype for the modern day telescope, um, he was able to observe celestial bodies and and write things down about them um, before, I believe, anybody else. Wow. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's fantastic. We could do an entire series of shows on the historical significance of Galileo. It's kind of a shame that we have to move on. It really is, but we're moving on to um, some equally fascinating territory. This episode of Ridiculous History is brought to you by Uber Teen. Introducing Uber Teen Accounts, an Uber account for your teen with trackable trips and highly rated drivers. This is important stuff. Your teen can feel a sense of independence and you can follow their entire ride on that live tracking map. And, you know, I've actually been using Uber Teen lately to help my teen uh, get to and from various events. The other week, I used it to get them and their friend uh, to and from a concert in Atlanta. And today they're actually going to use it to get home from a football game. I watch every step of the way uh, from the moment the car is called to when they get in and then I can track their progress to and from their destination. It makes them feel safe and it lets me know that they're safe. I absolutely love it. Mm-hmm. And here's how it works. When your team requests a trip, they are matched with highly rated experienced drivers and you receive those real-time notifications as well as enhanced safety features. That's right. Pin verification, in fact, to ensure that your team enters the right vehicle. Live trip tracking for parents. Plus, you, the parent, can contact the driver directly from the app. And don't delay. Today, you can get 40% off the that's up to $15 off three Uber Teen rides. Valid for the first 30 days for new users in select markets. See app for details. Add your teen to your account today. Available in select locations. See app for details. This episode of Ridiculous History is brought to you by Mint Mobile. After years of fine print contracts and getting ripped off by overpriced wireless providers, if we've learned anything, it's this. There's always a catch. So when we heard that Mint Mobile wireless plans are just $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan, we thought, what's the catch? So we dug in, and after talking to them, it all made sense. There isn't a catch. Can you believe that? Mint Mobile's got a secret sauce, babies, and it is that they sell wireless service online, and by doing so, cut out the cost of retail stores and pass those sweet, sweet, delicious savings directly onto you. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash ridiculous. That's mintmobile.com slash ridiculous. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash ridiculous. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. This is Holly Fry from Stuff You Missed in History Class. The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new SUV, like an adventure-ready RAV4. Available with all-wheel drive, your new RAV4 is built for performance on any terrain, from the road to the trails. And with plenty of passenger and cargo space, plus available tech like wireless charging, you and your entire crew can stay connected. Or check out a stylish and comfortable Highlander with three spacious rows of seating for up to eight passengers. And with available features, like the panoramic moonroof, you can sit back, enjoy the wide-open views with your whole family. Plus, both RAV4s and Highlanders are available in hybrid models, so no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and save on gas. So visit your local Toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales event deals on RAVs, Highlanders, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. 
This may well be the most infamous book on our list or the most well-known by, you know, the average Jane Joe walking around. For sure. It is On the Origin of Species by Means of Natural Selection. Can we get a crazy sound cue drop? Charles Darwin. Perfect. Yeah. Charles Darwin. Charles Darwin. Charlie D., as I like to call him. Yeah, to his friends. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he was a fascinating character. So what did his what what did his book ultimately argue, Noel? Well, at the crux of its argument was a little thing called uh, evolution. <laughs> which um, is not the most palatable thing to certain folks of certain religious persuasions in the same way that... Uh, Galileo's ideas challenged these views. This challenged a lot as well in terms of, you know, if we evolved from other more lower species, then we were not made in God's image. Adam and Eve is out the window. Mm-hmm. A lot of things kind of go out the window when you start to buy into his findings. Right. We see again a, an analog here or a, a similar theme as we saw in the books by Galileo, because the heliocentric argument is a bit of a a kick or a bruise to the ego of the human species. And in a way, the on the origin of species is also a kick to humanity, because it's saying you are not this singular thing that was made out of whole cloth. You are the result of a process that was here before you and will function long after you were gone. It's very true, Ben. And just, uh, just a quick little summary of, of, of Charlie. Yeah. Um, he was a naturalist, a biologist, a geologist, um, very, very uh, versatile man in his uh, learnedness. Um, and he believed that all species of life evolved or descended from a common ancestor, right? Mm-hmm. And yeah. What, what was that common ancestor for? For man, Oh, the primates. The primates, right? Yeah. All right. And so like we said before, this was not met with the most uh, open arms from religious leaders. Uh, And this is a thing that still goes on today. So let's just talk about like how this work was received when it came out and what may have led to the idea of it being a banned book. And then we'll, we'll kind of bring it to modern day. Sure. Here we go. So first, it's important to know that Darwin himself identified agnostic meaning that he was not a fervent practitioner of any particular uh, religion, especially, you know, Christianity, which would have been very common in his time. Darwin was considered a pretty affable country, country gentleman, country gentry, and he shocked Victorian society at the time when he suggested that animals and humans came from a common source. Pearls were clutched. Right, right. This, it wasn't universally hated. It was just controversial because there was at the time also a rising class of professional scientists. It was their job to conduct experiments, right, to uh, be a chemist or a physicist or so on. And this concept, this non-religious biology appealed to them and they, they propagated it. But at the same time, very powerful people are powerfully offended. 
as powerful people tend to get their <laughs> their offense uh, has has legs. It reaches outward. It can um, ruin lives. It can topple empires and suppress information. Right. So let's look at the timeline. He publishes the book in 1859, and it outlines the theory of evolution. Not long after that, the book is banned, uh, particularly in the library of Trinity College, Cambridge, where he had been a student. So the banning begins soon after the book is published, and it inspires international debate. Uh, The Church of England reacted against the book, but interestingly enough, Anglicans supported Darwin's theory of natural selection and saw it as an instrument of God's design. So they were saying, okay, evolution can happen because God wants it to. Okay. (laughs) Yeah, that's interesting. That's a very adaptable view. I guess I can appreciate that. But Darwin's research only got more controversial as time went on, and it started to become a concern uh, in public schools. Oh, yes. And this is what's nice about this being second in our list here is Galileo may feel like ancient history to some people, right? Charles Darwin may feel a little bit older, too, because the book is in, you know, the mid-1800s. But the controversy didn't, like, die down in 1900 or something. Oh, no. It continued for a long time, and it continued, especially here in the United States. Even though much like global warming is is largely accepted by the scientific community, Darwin's teachings uh, were as well. Um, And the idea of uh, evolution and natural selection is sort of the law of the land as far as the uh, the science crowd goes. Um, So, as one would expect... This ends up in uh, a lot of books, a lot of textbooks that um, students are getting in, in high schools and middle schools about biology and the origin of life. Um, and that uh, rubbed certain local governments the wrong way. Yeah, no kidding. And the way that they would phrase this opposition was relatively fluid. There would be, you know, some of the initial opposition was that this was essentially heresy, which you can't prosecute people for heresy. Yeah, we don't have a Spanish Inquisition anymore. Right. So that that argument was pretty much on the level, transparent. This offends our view of the nature of the universe. That's right. Uh, and people rallied behind this cause. It became uh, something that would be Portrayed in pop culture as well. Yeah, big time. Um, have you heard of the Scopes Monkey Trial, Ben? Mm-hmm. Yes, yes. What do you know about the Scopes Trials? The Scopes Trials took place in Tennessee, right? I think so, yeah. And it was a... Um, I, I, there are some twists and turns you'll hear to the story, but the quick summary is that this was almost like a public trial for whether or not evolution should be taught in... United States public schools. That's right. In fact, they had a law on the books in 1925 that was called the Butler Act, HB 185. Um, It was the bill that was founded on the arrest of John Scopes, who was a teacher in a Tennessee public school, and he took it upon himself to teach evolution. And that did not uh, sit well with uh, the Tennessee government. 
And a lot of people rally behind this because this was the first trial to be broadcast on the radio. Yeah, the language of the law was no joke either. It was described as, quote, an act prohibiting the teaching of the evolution theory in all the universities, normals, and other public schools of Tennessee. It prohibited the teaching of any theory that denies the story of the divine creation of man as taught in the Bible and to teach instead that man has descended from a lower order of animals. Punishments included any teacher found guilty of the violation of this act shall be guilty of of a misdemeanor and upon conviction shall be fined not less than $100 nor more than 500 for each offense. Mm -hmm. Yikes. Right. And this is in Dayton, Tennessee. And one thing that I find kind of wholesome and lighthearted about the whole event is that there was a carnival-esque atmosphere outside the courthouse. People were selling hot dogs, lemonade, toy monkeys, of course. Yeah. In fact, there is a pretty amazing little jingle um, that was written around this very event. Casey, can we have a clip of this, please? I'm no kin to the monkey. No, no, no. The monkey's no kin to me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know much about his ancestors, but mine didn't swing from a tree. It seems so unbelievable. And yet they're saying it's true. They're teaching us about it in school now That humans were monkeys once too Whoa, I'm no kidding Ah, sweet, sweet, catchy ignorance It is catchy, you have to give it that like if you just heard that song and you didn't speak English, you would think, oh, that's a, that's got a nice roll to it. Well, it's got good alliteration. It's like, I'm no kin to the monkey, no, no, no. The yeah. monkey's no kin to me, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like a calypso almost. Yeah, it's got it's got it's got some punch to it. Kind of makes me want to deny evolution. <laughs> it's working, Noel. It's working. You can't listen to the song in full. They'll get you. But they also technically got scopes. Interesting fact, he was found guilty, and he was fined $100. $100. I guess he only did it once. In the modern parlance, we would say he took an L. He took that L for all of us. Though. Yeah, he really did. Uh, but this, you know, this uh, this was in 1923, and this stuff was happening as recently as, like, the 90s. Um, in Georgia, for example, there was a Supreme Court ruling that uh, declared it unconstitutional for the government to require uh, biology textbooks that contained uh, natural selection um, versions of evolution and the origins of life. Um, they, they would have stickers on them that referred to this stuff as a theory. Evolution is a theory, they would say, not a fact regarding the origin of living things. And then in January of 2005, a federal judge ruled that those stickers were no good because they essentially endorsed a religious viewpoint. And the school board spent a year appealing the ruling until it finally got settled in 2006. Yeah, man. That's insane. Uh, I really like this one. California, of course, California. In 2010, the Supreme Court um, decided to not hear um, the Association of Christian Schools International at all versus Roman Stearns at all. Um, and this case was uh, an appeal of a ruling um, that basically said that the state had the right to consider the teachings of certain religious schools insufficient preparation for college. That's, you know, you've got to respect the way that people frame these things because supporters of the measures like the sticker thing or the idea of teaching intelligent design mm -hmm. hand in hand with uh, evolution in a public school, supporters of these measures say that they are not repressing of you. 
They are promoting, quote, academic freedom by encouraging students and teachers alike to think critically and pretty much question everything. That's a bunch of jibber-jabber. I don't know if it is sincere. Yeah, yeah, it seems like a a line of bull honky. Mm -hmm. It seems like there's a whole stream of hooey. But uh, it does go to show that even, even after more than 100 years, this book remains controversial. And there are people who will tell you that it is purposefully meant to mislead you, you know? Sure. Even now. And hey, no ding on Christians here. Not at all. This is just a matter of, to me, ignoring clear evidence in favor of stuff that even many Christians will say that the Bible is is a— a book that is meant to teach. It has these kind of like scenarios that are necessarily meant to be read as Literal, factual yeah. occurrences. Yeah. So I, I always find it interesting when people are so stuck in an opinion that they can't see that there's, you know, other information out there. And I'm a fan of the approach that those Anglicans took back in the 1850s, 1860s. Things don't have to be mutually exclusive. You know, your your personal belief system is just that personal yeah right big time and so also you have to consider if somebody is an opponent of a scientific thought like this or a a theory of some sort going out of your way to suppress it in this manner makes it so much more powerful and interesting of course to everyone else you know yep agreed so thanks to you charles darwin thanks for hopping on the beagle and changing the course of science for us all. The Regal Beagle? Yep, the HMS Beagle. This episode of Ridiculous History is brought to you by Uber Teen. Introducing Uber Teen Accounts, an Uber account for your teen with trackable trips and highly rated drivers. This is important stuff. Your teen can feel a sense of independence and you can follow their entire ride on that live tracking map. And, you know, I've actually been using Uber Teen lately to help my teen uh, get to and from various events. The other week, I used it to get them and their friend uh, to and from a concert in Atlanta. And today they're actually going to use it to get home from a football game. I watch every step of the way uh, from the moment the car's called to when they get in and then I can track their progress to and from their destination. It makes them feel safe and it lets me know that they're safe. I absolutely love it. Mm -hmm. And here's how it works. When your team requests a trip, they are matched with highly rated experienced drivers and you receive those real-time notifications as well as enhanced safety features. That's right. Pin verification, in fact, to ensure that your team enters the right vehicle. Live trip tracking for parents. Plus, you, the parent, can contact the driver directly from the app. And don't delay. Today, you can get 40% off. That's up to $15 off three Uber Teen rides. Valid for the first 30 days for new users in select markets. See app for details. Add your teen to your account today. Available in select locations. See app for details. This is Tracy V. Wilson from Stuff You Missed in History Class. The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new car. Like a legendary Camry built for performance and available with all-wheel drive, you can count on your new Camry to get anywhere you need to go. And with available features like heated seats and a multimedia touchscreen, you can stay connected in comfort and style. Or check out an affordable and reliable Corolla with a trim for every lifestyle. 
style. From the hip and agile sedan to the sporty hatchback, there's a dependable Corolla built just for you. Plus, both Camrys and Corollas are available in hybrid models, so no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and affordably. So visit your local Toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales event deals on Camrys, Corollas, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. Hey, Noel, have you ever wanted to wake up to something better? Oh, boy, have I ever been. (laughs) Well, uh, this is where Avalon Waterways comes in. How does waking up to a medieval castle, an ancient cathedral, a rolling vineyard, or a charming cobblestone village sound to you? Well, here on Ridiculous History, that's right up our street, Ben, our charming cobblestone street. So I can say it sounds pretty good to me. You're absolutely right, Noel. Avalon Waterways has redefined cruising in so many different ways. They've got the uh, widest opening windows. They've got beds that face the passing scenery. So wherever you go, you have a front row seat to the views of the world. And not only do you wake up in the best staterooms in the entirety of the business, but you're waking up in a new port every day, right in the heart of these amazing historic cities. Ah, Ben, sign me up. Open your eyes to a better view and a different kind of cruising. One with smaller ships, bigger experiences, fewer people, and more of everything. Limited time special offers await at AvalonWaterways.com. Ah, Noel, we're drawing to a close, at least for our massive list of three. I don't know. I think we've uh, done a good job of, of expanding uh, it. There have been lists within lists, kind of, you know, mm-hmm. sub lists. And I have so much other stuff on banning books. I might have to just like run through it real quick at the end. Do it. If we have time. Sure. But what's what's next? Oh, man. Well, Casey, I want I want to I want you to, to give me your feedback on this. We're going to talk about Georges Lemaitre. That's like George the Master. Yeah. Oh, cool. Georges Lemaitre. Lemaitre. I kind of. Yeah. I think I did it okay. Yeah, I think doing, you did a great job. Cool. You got all right. So George. Now I'm gonna. Now I got to really like. Do Wait, it. was this all on mic? Yeah. Okay. Great. So yeah. I don't right. know. It doesn't have to be. Well, this has been Casey on the case. I guess so. <laughs> it does have to be that. This gentleman, Georges Lemaitre, has the most remarkably unremarkable title of any of the books oh, on the list so it. far. Oh, I love <laughs> I love the, the pants off of it. Um, would you like to, to grace us with this title, Ben? Sure. Get ready. A homogenous universe of constant mass and growing radius accounting for the radial velocity of extragalactic nebula. By Georges I'm telling you, you're nailing that pronunciation. I could you hear Casey? There, there was pride. There was in his voice. I mean, that makes me feel really good. Um, so yeah, this this gentleman, um, he wrote this article in 1927. It wasn't a book, um, and this espoused essentially the 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 first version of what is now referred to as the Big Bang Theory. Or yeah, that one. Yeah, that's the automatopoeia version of right, it. Right, right. And just to give you a sense of what a uh, a giant of astrophysics this guy was, Stephen Hawking basically credits him as being the, the founder of it all, the godfather of this idea of the universe exploding outward from a particle known as, what is it, a super atom? Yeah, or a cosmic egg or primeval egg. egg. Is that right. the one? Yeah, that's so cool. And lest we sound like we're going to be constantly pitting science against spirituality here, we should point out 
that in addition to being a, a titan in the world of astrophysics, Le Maltre was a Belgian Catholic priest. He was indeed. Every picture you can find of him, he's got his little, uh, what do you call that thing? A little, little priest collar? Uh, yeah, uh, a Roman collar or a clergy collar. There you go. Yeah. So he's, he is uh, deep in both worlds, my friend. He is, uh, he is a man of science and a man of God, which makes his findings extra interesting to me. Absolutely. And his religious standing didn't stop the Big Bang from being looked at as a controversial idea. Mm. Even even Albert Einstein at first was like, yeah, you sure about that? I don't know about that one, buddy. Yeah, I don't know, Father. And we can, you know, you can kind of understand, just like uh, just like the case with Galileo or with Darwin. It was wild! Yeah, we've never heard this before. Radical! But it's such a challenging question that humanity is still trying to to really figure out, you know? What did the universe have a starting point? If so, what was there beforehand? You know, and this is mind blowing stuff that this guy, this guy came up with. And sure, we can, we can laugh a little bit at the idea of cosmic egg. It's kind of like Emerson's transparent eyeball, but it's a uh, sounds like a really cool prog rock band. Cosmic egg. Yeah. Oh, we should tell everybody. So we have been uh, collectively, Casey, Noel, and uh, some of our colleagues and I have collectively been really into making up band names or noting when something would be a good band name. So you're probably going to hear us doing that for a while in the next few episodes. We like to do the band name and then the genre. So Cosmic Egg. Yeah, like... uh... I would say kind of like kraut rock, like sort of like can, you know, yeah. very repetitive drumming and, uh-huh. you know, dubby kind of bass and yeah, yeah. And like, like palm muty guitars and yeah, I'm liking that. Cosmic Egg. What else? What else you got? I feel like Cosmic Egg is definitely the superior of the three names for band name. I think, I think you nailed it. Hole in one. We had one last night. It was Denim Glut. Remember Denim Glut? Yeah, Denim Glut. Oh, was it the Rainbow Denim Glut? No, you were just talking about how, like, you, you were saying there was a denim uh, surplus. Yeah. And they were trying to, like, capitalize on that by selling it at a at a loss or something like yeah, that to yeah, be yeah. a loss leader or something. Mm-hmm. Anyway, it's over my head. We but. had a really in-depth discussion off air mm-hmm. about denim. I think we decided that denim glut would be uh, kind of an electro, yeah. dancey kind of, kind of band. Yeah. yeah. It had to be because it would be too on the nose for it to be country music. I could see, yeah, definitely on the nose. I could see Denim Glut opening for Cosmic Egg, though. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Seems like a good bill. Dance the night away. I love it. (laughs) So uh, we'll let you know uh, when we make those things real bands. But in the meantime, we should return to Le Maltre. Le Maltre. Pretty good. You are so much better at that than I am. It's it's all about the the Le Maltre. Le Maltre. It's the Tre. Tre. Le it's that. Oh, God. Sorry, guys. <laughs> I uh, choked a little bit. It's been a long week. It has been a long week. Yeah, our Belgian cosmologist um, and Catholic priest. Uh, and, you know, um, let's talk a little bit about how he arrived at this idea. Ooh, do tell. Well, let's start from the beginning. He was born in 1894 in Charleroi, Belgium. And uh, from a very early age... He was into both science and religion. He did serve in World War I briefly, and then after that, he decided to get into theoretical physics and, in short order, was ordained. Um, so, you know, he, he really knew his path, kind of a split path, 
but an interesting one. Mm-hmm. And uh, he really committed to both pretty heartily. Um, by the time he was 31, he became a professor at a Catholic university. And this is interesting, Ben. During World War II, he actually was hurt when his home was accidentally bombed by U.S. uh, forces. Friendly fire, huh? Yeah, that's rough. And the whole time, he is is studying physics himself as this is going on, as his home is being accidentally bombed. In 1927, he discovers a group of solutions to Einstein's field equations of relativity, and the solutions that he finds— do not describe a static universe. Instead, that was the prevailing uh, right? notion, right? Right. The universe is just here. It's, it's, it, that's it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but his solutions described an expanding universe. At the same time, a few years earlier, another researcher, a Russian named Alexander Friedman, had discovered this too, but they were not in contact with each other. So he brings this, uh, he publishes this report in the same year, 1927, in a little-known journal call, oh, called, uh, whew, all right, hey, uh, hey Casey, can you, uh, can... yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do my best here. Uh, that would be the Annal de la Société Scientifique de Bruxelles, something like that. My man, Bruxelles, somewhere in there. Yeah. Ah, oh, Casey on the case, ladies and gentlemen. In this report, he presents this idea of an expanding universe that we would later call Hubble's Law, the idea that the outward speed of distant objects in the universe is proportional to their distance from us. This, this, is, pretty, this is pretty crazy stuff, right? Seems legit. Seems legit to us now. <laughs> yeah, then I know. <laughs> so we've got a little bit of a pickle here. How did we get from cosmic egg to the Big Bang Theory? There's, there's a story there that it's called Big Bang Theory after a sarcastic remark from an English astronomer named Fred Hoyle in 1949. It's true. I actually found this article on Christian Today. Um, I guess it's written by a, a, a British person because I just love this. They say, one skeptical scientist, Fred Hoyle, rubbished Lemaitre's idea as the Big Bang Theory. Um, and even Einstein, we, like we mentioned earlier, thought it was just way too far out, man. I'm Albert Einstein, man, and that's just too far out. That's how he would have That's reacted. how he actually sounded, mm-hmm. yeah. Yep, yep. We did the research on that. Uh, yes, so now, fast forward to the modern day, we are very, very fortunate that these ideas and these works survived despite the way they challenged the status quo. What was it, like the discovery of background radiation or microwaves or something like that, like confirmed a lot of the the basis for his argument? That's correct, Noel. That's true. Actually, a while back, I was able to interview uh, the Nobel Prize winning professor John Mather, who was instrumental in essentially proving the Big Bang uh, and taking it outside of the realm of theory. And he, we were interviewing him because he was working on the James Webb Space Telescope, which is the successor to the Hubble. That's right. When you guys went to NASA. Mm -hmm. So cool. Yeah. And it was actually um, a pair of scientists, Arno Penzias and Robert Wilson, who discovered those cosmic microwave background radiations. I am not even borderline smart enough to know how that relates or what that means. But uh, Lemaitre did find this out before his death, and he sure as crap knew what it meant. So 
Good on him. <laughs> Vindication. <laughs> That's true. Score one for science. And you always have to imagine, you know, if we put ourselves back in these people's shoes, it is so fascinating to think how much progress they made with so much less assistance or knowledge in comparison to what we have today. It's true. Boy, you can, we can only hope that in 2400 AD or something, people look back and say, I can't believe they made the, such a great podcast before the days of telepathic communication. If, you know, uh, if, if that's our legacy, then I'm fine with that. Man, I'll tell you, Ben, I'm bushed. That, that, that was a... This is a long one. That was a long one. I, I sure would hate it if some sort of pedantic supervillain came along Don't and, do it. Uh, oh. I, I had so much great stuff to close out on, on the dangers of modern censorship, and now... Now we're here. It's time, gentlemen. I guess it was only a matter of time before it was once again time. That's right, that's right. Fatalism, it's your friend. Jonathan Strickland, the quizster, you've returned yet again, uh, both to challenge our ability to discern true history from fake history and to rationalize all the budget money we spent on that gigantic grandfather clock. Oh, it's back, huh? It's, yeah. It's always been. Yeah, oh, yeah. Of course. Just, I mean, Sorry. It's, I, I am nothing if not... An excuse for extravagant purchases. You seem like you've kind of taken it down a notch a little bit, Strickland. I, I'm going to be honest. In a, in another day, I'm going to be opening up a, a at a show, and 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 all my energy has been devoted to that. So you're kind of getting the. Uh, I'm not going to say uh, halfway. This is Quister on seven. It's that's usually you're on like thirteen. Six point two. Is I'm going to say know. it can be a bit much. All right, hang on, hang on, hang on. Well, gentlemen, now prepare uh, yourselves. Now, as I understand it, the topic for today's discussion was one on banned books. Yeah. Can you go back to seven? Yeah, why did you ask him to do this? I'm going to burn through all my energy right now. You know, Twister, I got to tell you, you've become quite the divisive figure on our show. We only forward you the nice emails. <laughs> so there's, there's those who really hate it. Well, you know what? I've always said it's the most cringeworthy segment in podcasting. I make no apologies. So I have for you your scenario. And as, of course, you always know that I always have an arbitrary rule that mm. I instate. Yes. In order for you to ask questions during the three minutes you have to deliberate. Mm -hmm. I will tell you that arbitrary rule after I read you the scenario. So you'll get a little extra time to think it over. That little extra time being, you know, the five seconds it takes me to tell you the arbitrary rule. So here is your scenario. And yes, it's gotten longer. Uh, it's just, that's the way I roll. It'll soon be its own podcast. Here we are. Yeah. From the mid-1970s through the 1990s, many parts of the world, particularly the United States, were gripped in what we now call the Satanic Panic, in which people became convinced that cults practicing ritualistic abuse were poised to topple our world into chaos. Games like Dungeons and & Dragons and music like rock and or roll became targets. One town took this a little bit further. On June 26, 1989, Hartford, Connecticut school board officials made a big show of fighting against the forces of darkness by banning several books. Among them was the Necronomicon. 
There's only one problem. The Necronomicon does not exist. It was a fictional book created by H.P. Lovecraft in his story, The Hound, in 1922, but apparently no one from Rhode Island told the good folks of Hartford, Connecticut about this. It took a few months, but those same officials became the laughing stock of New England once word got out and no one ever mentioned the ban again. Your arbitrary rule is that before you can ask any question, you must proceed it with Ya Ya Cthulhu Fatagan. Begin the clock. <laughs> All right. Ya Ya Cthulhu Fatagan. All right, go ahead. Uh, Bad romance, I like it. I just it. wanted to try it. I just right. wanted to make sure I remembered it. I had to say it once. Uh, Sorry, I'm wasting precious clock's time. Ticking, clock's ticking. I'm a big ticking. fan of Lady yeah. Gaga. It's perfectly fine. I, I, it, really? Would they be that foolish? I mean, uh, that's, yeah, they probably would. Ya Ya Cthulhu Fatagan. Uh, yes, Mr. Bolin. Uh, is it possible that most of this story is true, but one part of it has changed? And if so, would that render the entire thing false? If you're asking me, would I make up one detail to make a true story into a false one? I absolutely would do that. Son of a fish. That's my new family friend. That's pretty good. Word. Yeah, That's fun. That rolls right <laughs> off the tongue. Um, I'm going to, you know what? I'm going to, I'm going to double down. Uh, I'm going to say true. Really? Yeah, that's okay. So here's the thing, Noel. Mm -hmm. I'm still divided because these longer ones tend to be fake. If you look back, really, mm -hmm. you're trying to pick out a pattern. You're here. looking for meta information. Oh no, I don't think he would. I don't think he would uh, tip his hand in that way. He hates us. That's well, that's <laughs> what I'm saying. I think he would try to. He's playing those mind games. <laughs> so, uh, do do do. Uh, okay. I do Lufthagen. That's very good enough. You know, I'm not a native of Innsmouth or whatever. Right. Uh, so You're not so eldritch. Right, right. I'm, I'm eldritch light, at least. So you mentioned Rhode Island. I did. How did Rhode Island come into Lovecraft play? Lovecraft was from Rhode Island, okay. born in Rhode Island, died in Rhode Island. Went to New York a couple times and it really screwed with his mind. D did not like it. Okay. Uh, yeah, you know what? I'm going to go. I'm going to go with true. What do you think? Oh. Surely our time's up. Are we really do we, we have, have a... one minute and one second. Oh, cool. I'm just gonna. I'm gonna think on that. I'm gonna. Have, I'm gonna have a good think. Have uh, a think. No, Noel's having a think. How, how are you doing, Ben? You know, I uh, I've been doing all right, man. We uh, we had a really great episode today, and just between us, it's it's always good to see you, even though it's somewhat adversarial. No. Are you saying no to the question or no to me? I say false. All right, so we've got we've got another situation. We know how this is All always right. resolved. Ready? Rochambeau, mm -hmm. uh, we're going to do one, two, three, shoot. Mm -hmm. All right. One, two, three, shoot. All right, so we have uh, right, Mr. Ben, Bolin's got a ben rock. Crushed, he crushed my scissors. So, so we're going with true then. Ah, <sighs> yes. <laughs> Two ahead, I am. Ben, you fool! Two ahead. Oh, I have fun. Fibbed. I know. I, I know. made it up. The whole thing? The whole thing. Wow. The whole th well, I didn't make up the satanic panic. That actually happened. That did occur. I'm yes. aware of that. But was it in the attic, though? That's June 26th, by the way, happens to be my birthday. Oh, oh my God. That was That was the, the hint I threw in there just to tip it off. 
Uh, also, you could have – there were. Lo- I was prepared for all sorts of questions because there have been books right. titled The Necronomicon that were just various hoaxes. There's, of course, the infamous Simon edition that was published in the late 1970s, early 1980s, but it only sold about 800,000 copies, so that mm. probably wouldn't have registered enough to be on a banned there, book There's list. also fan fiction Necronomicon. Sure. In the early 1980s, that really wasn't such a big thing. But... And, and I shouldn't have said anything about – that pattern that I noticed. I know. Especially because now he's probably going to switch it up. Yeah, I was going to say, I also had other books that were supposedly banned in that same group in case you asked me that question, which included things like Satanic Verses by Salman Rushdie. That's why I I originally had the date set for 1985, but when I put that, that little detail in, I realized... That book wasn't published till 1988, so I had to push it back a little. You, sir, are a diabolical oh, creature of so good. the pit, mm. of the abyss. Hartford, yeah. Connecticut would ban me in an instant. You're an agent of the dark. Mm. Uh, well, you know what, though? Yeah. I had fun, too. Me, too. Yeah. Me, too. I, I, hey, Yog sothoth what'd you think? Get out. That's his noise. He liked it, too. Uh, that is the eldritch language that they speak in the mythos. So thank you uh, for coming on again. As always, the things we were required to say, uh, you win the battle but not the war. Mm-hmm. We'll be back. We'll get you next time, my pretty. I'll De- have a really long, true one for you next time. Death is but a Don't doorway. Time is but a window. Oh, happy dagger. <laughs> What's that quote from Ghostbusters 2? My lesion, madam, to expostulate what majesty should be, why duty is, why day is day, night, night, time is time, we're to nothing but to waste night, day, and time. That's not in Ghostbusters 2. That's that's Hamlet. I'm sorry. Ooh, speaking of that, I just want to brag to everybody. I'm going to see Sleep No More tomorrow night, and I am stoked. Awesome. You know about this? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I've heard about this. Yeah. It's like an immersive uh, experience where it's like Macbeth happening in different rooms in this crazy, like, haunted house hotel kind of situation. There was a similar production that that started out in New York and got a lot of buzz. Hey, don't get too familiar, Quizster. We can't just be talking theater with the Quizster. I'm, I'm shaking my fist at the two of you, and now I'll be away. Bye. I just want to say that I think he is doing a good job. Oh, he's doing a great job. You are not supposed to be hearing that. Okay, I I retract. I retract that statement. I do want to end with what I should have said to him. Death is but a door. Time is but a window. I'll be back. Ghostbusters 2, Vigo. It's a great film. His name is Vigo. (laughs) Wife to you and mother to me. Well... Will we be able to come back from our crushing defeat today, folks? There's only one way to find out. Only one way to find out, and that's tuning in. Um, in the meantime, you can write us at ridiculous at howstuffworks.com. You can hit us up on the social medias uh, where we are Ridiculous History on Facebook and Instagram. And, you know, most importantly, uh, join us next week when we talk about how Richard Nixon may or may not have accidentally smuggled a, a weed for Louis Armstrong. An illegal weed, the drug, marijuana. Yes, that's the one. <laughs> that's the one. Um, but thanks to our super producer, Casey Pegram. Thanks to Alex Williams, who composed our theme. Curses to Jonathan Strickland, the quizster. And thanks to uh, Brian Young for writing uh, Three Times Society Refused to Accept Books on New Science for HowStuffWorks.com. And of course, as always, thanks so much to you. Uh, We hope that you enjoyed this episode. Uh, We hope to hear your take on banned books as well as the dilemma of progress versus preservation, however you approach that. One, uh, One last question. 
question to end on here that I think is interesting. Are there any books that you feel should be banned and why? Fascists. See you next time. Does money stress you out? Let FACET flip your financial chaos into clarity. Finding FACET immediately put us at ease. FACET's innovative approach to financial planning ensures your money works as hard as you do, enabling members to experience the joys of having your finances in order. That makes us FACET for life now, I guess. (laughs) Visit FACET.com, F-A-C-E-T.com to learn more. This ad is sponsored by FACET. FACET Wealth is an SEC-registered investment advisor. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities, nor is it investment, legal, or tax advice. These testimonials are from current FACET members who are not compensated. All opinions are their own and not a guarantee of a similar outcome. This episode of Ridiculous History is brought to you by Avalon Waterways. Ben, are you in major need of a vacation right now? Noel, you're a mind reader. I am, and uh, aren't we all? We are. While cruising remains popular, there's something big happening in the industry, and that is, my friend, smaller ships. True story. The intimate ships of Avalon Waterways can go where the big ships can only dream through winding passageways of rolling vineyards and castled hills into the heart of timeless cities and storybook villages. That sounds like a delight. See how Avalon's smaller ships promise greater discoveries, fewer people, and more of everything. Limited time. Special offers await at AvalonWaterways.com. This episode of Ridiculous History is brought to you by Uber. Introducing Uber Teen Accounts, an Uber account for your teen with trackable trips and highly rated drivers. Your teen can feel a sense of independence and you, as the parent, can follow their ride on a live tracking map. Yeah, when your teen requests a trip, they're matched with highly rated, experienced drivers and you receive real-time notifications. And, you know, I've actually been using Uber Teen lately to help my teen uh, get to and from various events. The other week, I used it to get them and their friend uh, to and from a concert in Atlanta. And today, they're actually going to use it to get home from a football game. It makes them feel safe, and it lets me know that they're safe. I absolutely love it. And today, you can get 40% off. That's up to $15 off three Uber teen rides. Valid for the first 30 days for new users in select markets. See app for details. Add your teen to your account today. Available in select locations. See app for details.